NOLA History Guy podcast for Sunday, March 22nd, 2020. Welcome back to the pod. We're going to do more, uh, one of our more regular format podcasts today where we unpack a photo and then do a, uh, a pick from Catherine Campanella's Today in New Orleans History. Uh, so we're going to uh, kind of just go back to a, well, I mean, how can we say we have a normal routine right now, but you get the idea. We're going to have a little fun. So we're going to do a, a streetcar picture that Derby Disclare found. And uh, then we're going to come in and uh, we'll, we'll uh, take a break and then we'll have our second segment where we'll look at uh, uh, kind of our pick of the week of some of the stuff that Campanella finds uh, for her uh, Today in New Orleans History uh, Facebook group. So here we go. Let's get started. Okay, so our photo this week is a uh, transit photo. Imagine that. You know, well, I kind of wrote a book on this stuff. But uh, it, it's, it's an interesting photo for a couple of reasons, and you'll see it on the show page. It's a, uh, a photo of maintenance work on Canal Street, on the streetcar uh, uh, line, on, on streetcar lines, I should say, on Canal Street. Uh, the photo dates to about like 1901, 1902. And there's just a whole bunch of interesting features here, so so we're going to talk about it. All right, this uh, set the stage. The the location of this particular photo is right behind Liberty Place. Now, Liberty Place, of course, is the the longtime location of the Liberty Monument, and there was the the little park there. And uh, going back into about 1896, an engineering firm that was, uh, well, has become quite well known over the years because of a different uh, uh, aspect of their work. Uh, uh, the firm was uh, Ford, Bacon, and Davis. And they are most well known for designing and, uh, and building the uh, the gosh, I guess it's over a hundred single truck streetcars uh, that were used in New Orleans. Oh, to this very day, if you count the fact that uh, RTA still has uh, streetcar number 29, that was one of those original Ford Bacon and Davis streetcars. But the thing about Ford Bacon and Davis is that they weren't, they, they didn't start out uh, as uh, streetcar uh, manufacturers and uh, even streetcar designers. They were engineers and uh, traffic engineers, building engineers, that kind of thing. And the New Orleans Traction Company hired Ford Bacon and Davis in 1898 to do a uh, to make a whole bunch of recommendations for improvements and that kind of thing in the layout of uh the city's transit system now kind of back up a little bit you know we talk a lot about the different streetcar uh uh companies that provide the transit providers that have run streetcars in New Orleans over the years and that goes all the way back to 1935 with the New Orleans and Carrollton Railroad Company and all through the mule-drawn 
stage or the mule-drawn age of streetcars in New Orleans, there's been a whole bunch of different companies that have tried their hands at operating streetcar lines. The two biggest, of course, were the New Orleans and Carrollton Railroad, and then the New Orleans City Railroad, which ran the Canal Line and the Esplanade Line, and a bunch of others. And uh, they came, uh, the, the first one, uh, the, the former came in in 1835, the latter in 1861. And things... Uh, again, yeah, the, these companies, just like any other businesses, had their ups and downs with finances and, and uh, com- competition and that kind of thing. But electrification, which starts in 1893 with New Orleans and Carrollton, then uh, 1895 with the New Orleans City Railroad, electrification really changed things. And these companies had a quite a difficult time uh, staying afloat because they had to spend so much money on infrastructure. You know, it's one thing to just, you put down the track, you get the streetcars and you get your mules and you're good to go. But now you've got to, with, with electrification, these companies had to, well, they had to run the power lines. So that meant they had to put up all of the light poles and everything else. Well, we call, I call them light poles going, you know, cause that's my, my age and everything, but they weren't even light poles at that point you know commercial electrification starts in the early 1890s but residential electrification is uh is still a bit behind at this point so they're putting up just basically electric poles for streetcar use and that costs them a ton of money and then the maintenance of that and everything else so what ends up happening over time is the new orleans and Carrollton railroad company is pretty much holding their own, but uh, the New Orleans City Railroad Company and several others merge together, and they form a, a, a uh, kind of a conglomerate company, if you will, that was called the New Orleans Traction Company. And then by 1899, that needed to be reorganized, and they went back to the name New Orleans City Railroad Company at that point. So that brings us to the photo. So this photo is like 1901 and 1902, and it's electric. Uh, it, it's a it's a photo of two men doing electrical line maintenance right there at the foot of Canal. So Ford, Bacon, and Davis have designed the the turnaround. The idea was that all of these streetcars converged on Canal. Some of them would pop up for a block and then turn and go back, uh, go back uptown or go back downtown. Some of the other lines would actually go all the way up to the river. They'd uh, come all the way up to Liberty Place, and that's part of the of the design of the terminal. Was that Ford, Bacon, and Davis designed and and built a circle a loop track around liberty place so that uh inbound cars you know riverbound cars could come in loop around on this single track and then pull into a very wide uh at one point i believe it was like six or seven i've got the 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 diagram of it i can't even uh yeah i'm not going to pull it up at the moment to look but it's like six or seven tracks at that point and then they would lay over in those six or seven tracks and then eventually switch over to one of the two outbound tracks uh in the four track main that was on canal street so um so that's the setting here is that this is some electrical work, some line work needed right there just at where the uh, the loop begins at the back of uh, the Liberty Monument. And uh, so what we see is a wagon that's uh, it's a mule drawn wagon with 
two with uh, two big ladders or one one big ladder, you know, one big collapsible ladder. It looks like it's actually two big ladders tied together at the top, and they are these two ladders are in the the back. They're in the wagon. It's they're in the bed of the wagon. Uh, and so they're kind of, you know, in a, a, you know, the upside down V that you would expect from a collapsible ladder. And these two guys are up at the top of this, this ladder in the back of the wagon doing electrical work on the lines above the streetcars. And it's just an, it, it's, it's an incredible picture because it, it's like there's so little safety precautions with with the whole scene so what we've got is there's a you know uh, uh basically a you know uh commercial wagon uh like a not I, I guess it's just a little flatbed wagon that is uh it's got new orleans city rrco on the side so that's new orleans city railroad company now given that it's an elect given that it's uh, uh they're working on uh electrical stuff uh it's possible that's a new wagon that was painted with new orleans city railroad uh, as the uh, well, it's well, yeah, I say that, but then it's possible it's one of the original New Orleans City Railroad uh, e uh, pieces of equipment. This the uh, New Orleans City Railroad streetcar barn is where Canal is Canal Station. It's what what is now the uh, A. Philip Randolph bus terminal, and then the Canal Street barn for the streetcars that's behind the bus terminal. And then for years, that was Canal Station, which was the, the main streetcar station for Nopsy, New Orleans Railway and Light, and before that, New Orleans City Railway. And part of that little layout, uh, well, we'll detail that uh, at some point on another pod, because they had anything down there from a steam train, you know, a, a steam train, uh, maintenance uh warehouse maintenance uh building to the barns for the mules for back in the 1860s 1870s and it was you know all down there so so they need to do some work so a couple of guys take the wagon they take this big old ladder and they come most likely come uh e either from there or from the uh the Poland avenue barn and uh just come down the street to the end of canal street and uh set these two ladders up on uh in the bed of the in the bed of the wagon and this mule is just standing there and i can remember that was one of the comments that when when derby posted the uh the photo in in our new orleans uncovered uh group on facebook which if you're on the book of zucker look for i'll we'll put i'll put the link in the show page on of course on the nola history guy website but yeah you want to look for the um you, you want to look for New Orleans Uncovered. We're having way too much fun in that group with old pictures and talking and, and everything else. So, yeah, so basically they park the wagon, they set up the ladders, and here's this mule, and he's just standing there like he's a, it's like he's a military mule at attention, right? You know, he's just 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 standing there minding his own business. And one of the comments on, on the group, this is getting back to that, was uh, basically somebody said, what would those two guys do if that mule got spooked? And it's true. There's nothing. It doesn't appear to be any like brakes or chocks on the wheels or anything. You know, if that if that mule takes off, these two guys are like 12, 13 feet, more than that, 15 feet up in the air, uh, more like 20 feet up in the air. So, yeah, you know, it's like this is this is crazy. Uh, yeah, for, for that. It's a uh, 
It's just absolutely nuts. But it's a neat, it's such a wonderfully fun picture because of that. That uh, Well, you, you know, just take a look at it on the show page and, and you'll enjoy it. There is an interesting mix of streetcars on the street at this time. So again, this is like 1901 or so. And there are basically three types of streetcars that are visible in the picture. So you've got uh, toward the, on, the, um, on the left-hand side, and then in the background center right, well, actually, background center, under, if you're looking at the photo, you look under the ladder itself, and there are two streetcars there. Uh, so on the far left and then on the, uh, on the track, on, uh, on the, the outbound track, there are two single-truck Ford, Bacon, and Davis streetcars. And uh, they were, uh, those are the, the cars that, what, what happened was, is that, uh, well, we'll back up a minute. The other two, there, there, there's three other streetcars visible in the, um, in, in the photo. The other, uh, the, the two cars that are actually on canal are two single truck, also single truck cars, but they are Brill single truck cars. And you know the difference between a Brill car and the Ford Bacon Davis cars, because the monitor deck, the top piece of the Brill cars, is a bit smaller than that of the Ford Bacon Davis. The Ford Bacon Davis go almost all the way to the edges of the roof, where the monitor decks on the Brill cars are much smaller. And this is where the story kind of of Ford Bacon Davis is interesting because the, the, the Brill cars are coming from other cities. You know, the uh, Brill car company uh, had uh, operations in, in uh, St. Louis in particular. And they, so they, when they built these cars, they built them with, uh, with, with again, it, it's, it's, it's what was called a monitor deck. But in, in a house, you'd see windows in an old unair conditioned house. You'd have like those transom windows that you'd have uh, basically you you would pop those windows at the top of a room and then that would allow air to circulate along through the through the uh, on the top of a room and around a house so you might have especially uh, well well after electrification you'd have a house and you might put a big box fan in the big in the main hallway and then those those ceiling windows those transom windows would allow air to circulate and the fan could push it around and kind of give you some more cooling and everything so that was the idea of these monitor decks that you see on these streetcars was even if it was a rainy day or kind of a grungy day, you could keep the wind, the windows by the passengers up, but you could pop open the monitor windows and, and as vents, basically as circulation. And initially, the um, those win you know the, the, those monitor decks they, they functioned fine, but then enter the Ford Bacon and Davis engineers. Now they've already spent a bit of time doing some surveys and doing some analysis of uh, streetcar uh, traffic patterns and flow and and uh, the the operation of streetcars in New Orleans, and it gave them the idea that we could improve, we could make a streetcar that works more for New Orleans. And that's where, that was the idea behind the, the, the Ford Bacon and Davis single truck. The monitor deck is so much wider because that allows much more, uh, much better air circulation 
inside of the car. And why did you need that? Because it was hot, muggy, and well, it still is hot, muggy, and gross in New Orleans. So, okay, so we've got our so we've got our guys. They're up there fixing the this uh this wire because it was a bit complicated. You know, it's a turnaround that goes into a whole bunch of of uh it's a turnaround that goes into a whole bunch of um of layover tracks so there's a whole a whole lot of wire at this point down on canal street uh by the way just as a side note you know this 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 section of canal is pretty much the same uh with the exception of the you know liberty place was taken down when uh moon landrew decided one of the you know when the, when the city decided they were going to do the um, the the international trademark the itm building which is now the world trade center building uh that basically demolished the a lot of you know d- demolished a lot of the the fr- of the the riverfront area at that point uh built it back up you know with the itm building in the late 60s and then spanish plaza but uh still what you've got is that those layover tracks pretty much still exist in uh there's uh three four uh tracks in front of uh one canal place right there by Saks that you can see you can kind of still see the layover part now uh instead of doing the turnaround like they did when with the loop track was in place before 1964 they just come to the the end switch off to one of the tracks and then uh do the just change the 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 operator just changes the trolley poles to go in the, uh in the opposite direction but when they had the loop they could just stay in the same direction the whole time because you just looped around to well till you got back to the end of the line uh at the cemeteries and then then you'd pull the poles down and let the other one back up uh like you see them do now so what we've got is that what looks like two ford bacon davis street cars and two of the brill single truck street cars now they're again they're called single truck street cars because they've got one set of wheels you know basically you've got got the 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 basically have uh four wheels that are in the same physical casing and that and there's a motor that's attached to that and that's where that's the idea there so you've got those um those uh two single set of four wheels in the center of the car and that's what why they're referred to as single truck you know these days like box cars or or tank cars on on a railroad would have two sets of wheels you wouldn't just have one set of those four wheels you have two sets of trucks at that point and that's what the larger street cars we refer to and of course our our beloved arch roofs now we refer to those as double truck street cars so the one double truck street car that's in this picture is on the right hand side of the picture and it's uh it's a double truck car that that uh the the five it was the 500 series cars uh, they were built uh, the 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 first set of cars for the in this 500 series were built by a company called Barney and Smith and they were delivered in in uh, 1898 and then the, uh, they they were okay it worked out nice so they took that design and the American Car Company which the American Car Company later makes the uh, the Palace Street cars that uh that were also used extensively on canal and on esplanade so the american car company uh takes that that same design and builds uh several more uh four more of these streetcars that were numbered 509 to 512 and this is five this i looking at the at the the number and i am awful with these zoom ins on some at some points you know it's like i look at these darn things and and i'm like 
you know, I, I can't figure out for the life of me what that is. And so, you know, so, so it's, that's, that's typical of me, you know, trying to sort that out. Uh, but it looks like it's five. I, I can't, I can't tell if it's, if it's 509 or if that's actually a 510, but it looks like 509 to me. And those are what those were four cars that were the same design, the same series. And these cars were, uh, 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 had uh, more powerful engines, of course, than the double truck cars and single truck cars, because you had the two trucks and you could uh, and put them. Uh, basically, uh, they would give you uh, m more power because you had two engines, two motors on on the streetcar itself. Now, these cars, these 500 series cars, were used as uh, they were used by the um, uh, specifically. They were used by, uh, uh, or they were by New Orleans City Railroad Company. At, they were used for the uh, West End Line. Now, the West End Line, of course, was an interesting, you know, just a very interesting uh, concept. I guess is the way to say it. Uh, New Orleans City Railroad Company, the original. Uh, didn't want to. They didn't want to run mules all the way out to West End. So when the West End line was a, a, in, initially inaugurated, they used steam engines. They used steam trains. And what they did was they created tram. What looked like what's what was called a tram engine at the time, where you took a steam engine and you made it look like a streetcar. So it was still it was still a, a steam powered engine, but it looked like a streetcar. So that made people less made people and animals less nervous uh, about the thing. And so the West End line was an excursion, you know, kind of a day trip line. But then as the lakefront builds out in the late 1800s, it gets more and more popular. Uh, after electrification, it made sense to get rid of the steam line, get rid of the steam train, and put in electric cars. So we're seeing that with these 500 series cars that the uh, New Orleans City, yeah, that looks like 510. Okay, I'm looking at it again. And, the more I zoom in on it, yeah, that's 510. It's not a zero. Okay, so what happened is basically they said, well, we need some powered up cars because we're going a, a longer distance. Uh, we're not just, you know, we, uh, they've uh, they needed uh, bigger capacity to handle larger, you know, uh, to handle a larger number of passengers than just the uh, the single truck cars. So they ordered these up and they, they worked out very nicely for a while. Uh, it just basically got to the point where they were, you know, uh, even uh, the American Car Company was in making improvements to streetcar designs so that uh, by 1905, and, well, actually they rolled out the cars uh, at the uh, World Exposition in St. Louis in 1904, uh, and the um, they were called the Palace Cars, and then that uh, New Orleans Railway and Light by then, which is what the next uh, uh, morphing of the corporate structure became, uh, started continued to buy these cars. So these are kind of the these 500 series cars are kind of the forerunners of the Palace Cars that became just so very popular from 1905 into the 1930s. Uh, so it's just, you know, incredibly popular. And they have a, a, a monitor deck as well, as you can see. One of the ways you can identify these older cars just right off the top is that there's only one trolley pole, and it was basically on a hinge, and you could just, instead of, like you see on uh, our uh, green arch roofs and the red uh, street cars, the, the 400s and the 2000s now, those are double-ended cars, right? You know, you just, you have two trolley poles you 
you pull the one that you're using down if you want and then uh, let up the other one and you go in the opposite direction where this one you just swung the single trolley pole around and uh, it was generally just uh, determined that with the double truck cars having the second pole was easier and safer because you're not whipping that pole around on the single truck cars it wasn't that big a deal just because the the roof wasn't that large in the first place and you can see the buildings it's uh you know as we're in you know in the background there's uh the cut you can see the custom house in the 400 block and then on the left hand side of the photo there are the buildings that are in the four and five hundred blocks as we're going down uh, it's like I said, the, 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 the focus of the photo is in the foreground though. So it's really like, you know how sometimes on some of these canal street photos, you can look down further, but this is designed to take up, you know, the, 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 the objective of this photographer was to take a picture of these two goofballs on this wagon. And there's this, uh, and so he's at street level. He's not even, uh, you know, very high up. So all you can see is the, the comings and goings of the streetcars. So you've got basically what looks like there's, uh, this Ford Baker. Davis car that looks like it's going to get ready to enter the loop uh, around Liberty Place. There's a Brill car behind it waiting. Then there are the two cars uh, that are under the ladder. That one looks like he's on the inbound inside track. The other looks like he's on the uh, uh, the outbound inside track. And then there's this 500 West End car that is just coming out of the loop. And so he's turning to go into, uh, you know, he's heading to go back outbound to go out to uh, West End. The West End line, uh, of course, followed. It just basically the West End line was uh, followed. The, did just traveled the Canal Street line. But when it got to City Park Avenue, it made a left turn. And then when it got to the New Basin Canal, it made a right turn and then ran up the eastern bank of the New Basin Canal out to there was a drawbridge uh, basically out at uh, West End. And so it ran uh, all the way down, uh, all the way up to the lake. Uh, then there was this drawbridge that was there that folks could, you could get off the streetcar and then you'd cross over into the West End Park and the entertainment area on that side. So like I said, this is just a, it's a wonderful kind of slice of life photo. You know, these two guys that are, they're just going about their job up there inspecting those wires or maybe making repairs. Everything else is going on around them. You know, now I'm looking at it. The number of streetcars in the area almost makes you think that they're, especially because one guy, he's got a fedora on, you know, like he's like, might be more of a management type. Uh, and it just, he just, he just doesn't look like a repair guy up there now that I think about it. So they could be just doing an inspection, make sure this stuff looks okay, that sort of stuff. Hopefully they got down off of that ladder fast in case that mule was going to be problematic. But it's just like, it's a wonderful photo. You'll enjoy it when you see it. And of course it's in the public domain. So if you want to use it, go ahead and download it. Or if you need a better resolution than what's up there, just ping me. We'll see what we can do. And kind of, you know, love to help out with things like that. All right, so what we're going that, that's our un, that's our photo unpacked for now. We're going to go ahead and take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about uh today in New Orleans history. NOLA History Guy podcast is brought to you today by Elysian Fields Press, publishers of Trusted Talents, book 2 of the Bayou Talents series by Edward Branley. Someone stealing magical artifacts in the middle of Mardi Gras. 
The priests of the Ordo Archangeli keep their tools hidden until needed. New Orleans has kept some of their secrets well until now. Daniel McCain is a dark adept of the same group that tried to kill Ren Alciator at Sawan. Now McCain comes close to acquiring a powerful set of tools. When all are in his possession, challenging and defeating him will cost lives. And there's no better time to hide these thefts than Carnival. The Ordo don't know where the thieves' next target is. Wren wants to enlist the help of one of McCain's cousins, Brooks Sterling Sumner, to learn more about the artifacts. Renard Alciator's talents are no longer hidden. Will the shadowy group known as the Assembly trust him? With the guidance of a coven of witches and knowledge from his new friend, Wren and the Assembly must protect their city from those who want to win at all costs. Bullets and magic are a strong combination to defeat. Trusted Talents is the second book in the Bayou Talents series. It's available on uh, Amazon.com uh, uh, as, uh, as a Kindle book. And in paperback, si uh, either signed by the author from the Alicia Fields Press website or in local bookstores around New Orleans. So again, that's Trusted Talents, and if you'd like to order it, go to ElysianFieldsPress.com. That's ElysianFieldsPress, all one word, dot com. And we're back. Let's break down... Uh, a, our pick of the week for the uh, for or from I should say today in New Orleans history by Catherine Campanella. Uh, the uh, uh, Ms. Campanella does that basically tries to do a, uh, a number of things for every day of the year and the different things in New Orleans history that pop up on that day. So what uh, what what we like to do here at NOLA History Guy is kind of look at a week's worth of that and say, this is kind of, this is cool. This is fun to break down a little further and go from there. So uh, there's a bunch of stuff that happens in the week uh, of, you know, basically uh, the 15th to the 21st, 22nd of March. Uh, it's a, it's a busy time. And uh, so there's a number of things there. Most, uh, 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 the ter terms of, of major significance, two events, of course, was the, the Pontchartrain Railroad was, uh, was both inaugurated and retired and, and closed in this week of March in uh, 18, uh, 1830 and 1932. And then, of course, on March 21st of 1788 was the Great Fire. Now, those deserve more than just being our pick of the week and we'll do pods we've never done a pod on the great fire probably should do that but but there's a, a cool one just you know that, that that's in fitting with you know about the the same uh speed as what we're looking for for this and by the way you know it's like su support the writers right you know go out to miss campanella uh you know sign up for her uh today in new orleans history uh uh group uh and that way you can kind of you know look at 
uh, some of this stuff on Facebook or go out to her uh, her website, which is neworleanspast.com. And then that will take you to the Today in New Orleans History section. So here we go. So this is March 17th, 1930. And Campanella says that according to Buddy Stahl, which as soon as you start anything that says according to Buddy Stahl, you know, Mr. Gasper Buddy Stahl was such a such a wonderful man. Uh, I, I he Buddy Stahl was a uh, a writer and a historian, uh, but he was a he he is what I aspire to be in that sense, right? Like I don't have a I don't have a PhD in history. I don't uh, I don't teach and deep dive into things as much as you know, uh, as Professor Campanella or Justin Nystrom, you know, Dr. Nystrom's a really, really brilliant writer. Uh, you know, I, I do this stuff and I have a lot of fun. I like talking to the groups and that kind of thing. And the first time I ever heard Buddy Stahl was when I was, uh, was a, um, a Cub Scout in, uh, PAC 30 at St. Angela Marisi. Uh, and, um, and well, you, you kind of get the idea. It was, it was, it was a blast, you know, and, uh, listening to him and the parents were always entertained. And I said, you know, I want to do that. And of course, the reason that Buddy Stahl could do that was because he had a patron, uh, specifically he was sponsored by Radiophone. Now, Radiophone going back into the sixties through the nineties, Radiophone was a, uh, a, uh, main, uh, uh, uh provider uh, a, you know, uh, a company that, that sold uh, two-way radios, pagers, and initially cell phones, but then cell phones swallowed up everything, and they ended up merging, I think, into Bell South Mobility at that point. But, um, but during the, in the, in, in the 70s, in the late 60s and the 70s, uh, the radio phone was a big deal. You know, you had uh, a businessman always had their, you know, they had their pager with them. I even shoot. I had a pager in the, in the 80s when I started uh, doing uh, computer consulting. So, uh, so radio phones, this, this very popular company in New Orleans, and they would, uh, they, they basically paid Buddy Stahl to go out and talk to all these groups. And he didn't even like make a radio phone pitch or sales mention or something like that but what he did was he when he showed up at these things he would show up in a coat and tie and in the and the coat was a blazer that had the big radio phone logo patch on the chest so it's kind of like you know the old uh you know you saw like like howard cosell and frank gifford you know wearing their a you know or or you know all of the abc guys like on wow world of sports and everything they're wearing their blazer and they've got the the abc logo on it you know that kind of thing well that was buddy right you know he would come to these groups like like a, you know, a garden club or, a, a, you know, VFW post or whatever, you know, just social groups and, and, and uh, rotary clubs and that kind of thing. And he would speak on different topics, different subjects as, uh, you know, when he'd go out and do and, and do these talks and he's wearing that radio phone coat and he'd say, yeah, I'm sponsored by radio phone. If you ever, you know, want to know more, I'll let you know. And that was but that was the extent of anything he would, you know, was because that was that was how cool radio phone was about the approach. Right. Just, you know, tell the New Orleans stories and let that let that work, you know, kind of give it back a little bit. And it was just a wonderful thing. So anyway, so so Campanella's entry for March 17th uh, says, you know, for this piece of it says, you know, according to Buddy Stahl on March 17th, 1930, the first coffee break in the United States occurred. And I'm like, well, you know, that that kind of makes sense because we were the main, was well, still are the main port of entry 
for something like 80% of the coffee that comes into the United States from, uh, uh, from South America. So it was like, you know, it's one of those things back, remember back, you know, post Katrina and you got these, these guys, you know, basically kind of said, why should we save new Orleans? And I can remember this one guy saying something like that on, uh, you know, I, I guess it was on live journal at the time. Right. You know, like, and, and you look up his information and you see he's from Seattle and I said, because Starbucks wouldn't exist without new Orleans, buddy. <laughs> but you know, it's like, that's, a, you know, you could always smell the coffee, uh, to this day. If you, uh, if you go over the Danziger bridge, take a deep breath, roll down your windows, take a deep breath. You can see, see the roasting coming from the full, the full, uh, the Folgers coffee plant on, uh, the industrial canal. And so, well, anyway, so yeah, kind, well, kind of the first coffee break, what well, kind of makes sense. So according to Buddy or, you know, via uh, Ms. Campanella, the idea was that the, 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 I, the concept of a coffee break comes from Brazil. Well, that not, not surprising, right? You know, coming from South America and coffee country and that kind of thing kind of makes perfect sense. You know, the um, uh, Latin America in general was, was always so big on, you know, you, you have the, the, the siesta uh, after lunch and that sort of thing. So, you know, uh, taking that morning coffee break, that morning tradition just kind of made, made a lot of sense. And given that even the, um, the, well, certainly the the uh, Protestant work ethic type uh, environment that would uh, that grew up and became part of the the uh, American tradition. Now, New Orleans comes from a little bit different, right? Because we get the French Spanish that comes into that, but the the Spanish didn't really have that that coffee break mentality as much as the South Americans, and because well they. They made the coffee, right? And they were probably, you know, they, they, uh, it, it wasn't expensive. It was easy, you know, very, very easy just to have that morning coffee break. So the idea is that uh, according to Buddy, what happened was it was the, uh, the, the, the Mississippi Steamship Company, which eventually later gets reformed and becomes the Delta Steamship Company. And then, of course, the Delta Steamship Company, that's the company that, uh, that ran the, the, the big passenger river boats, the Delta Queen, the Mississippi Queen, and the American Queen uh, for, for years. And that was the, the those, those aren't the, the uh, local boats like the Natchez or uh, the Creole Queen. These are the big passenger boats that would go all the way up the river, you know, on, uh, you know, overnight uh, and two-day type trips, and you know, four-day, you know, with, with the return trip coming back. So these are, you know, full-blown passenger boats with, you know, basically cruise ships, essentially, with, you know, restaurants and entertainment and that kind of thing. So that's the Delta. It, well, they were the Delta Steamship Company, but initially in 1930, at that time, they were the Mississippi Steamship Company. So somebody in the, 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 the Mississippi Steamship Company, and Buddy says it was, you know, management, right? You know, it says, let's get everybody together uh, in uh, and have a 3.30 p.m. coffee recess. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Because we weren't going to adopt, 
you know, th- this is America, and the siesta just wasn't part of the, again, the Protestant Puritan work ethic kind of thing. But maybe take 15 minutes or half an hour and have a coffee break. And that's, that's, where, that's where this comes from. So the managers get everybody together. He says it's about 80 employees. They were, uh, the, the company was based in the Hibernia Bank building, on Carondelet Street, which, of course, is, is still there more, uh, turning that into condos and offices and that kind of thing at this point. And it spread, or well, it's like, because it's what it says, it says, the tradition started by the shipping company spread like wildfire. And yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, it's like, especially something, you know, kind of a, of a break in the work day. Well, if they're doing it, we should do it kind of thing. And downtown New Orleans is a small type of group of people you know it's a it's a small little neighborhood and uh you know it's 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 say well they're doing it we should do it kind of thing and so there you go it's uh kind of the word got around and basically that's where coffee breaks can't come from uh that's a buddy makes that argument and you can see where especially with uh you know once it hits other businesses in new orleans cbd then the word travels up the river and then up to uh points north like you know coming into baltimore and new york just from the port like always guess what they're doing down in new orleans now and that becomes more of a formal thing becomes the coffee break uh, I can remember, you know, coffee break was a ritual for my for my dad, you know, when he was the manager of the electronics shop out in, at uh, University of New Orleans it was LSUNO at the time. And I you know, was uh, one day I, I was off of school and he let me come out to work with him and I got to hang out in the electronics shop and it's nine o'clock on the dot. And he and Mr. Harry and uh, you know, they meet up and Mr. Cecil from the machine shop. And next thing you know, they're all heading to the uh, College of Science faculty lounge, which is toward the center of this, the old science building at, at UNO. And I'm like, what's going on? And the next thing you know, it's all of them. You know, it's all the, the if, unless, unless a teacher was teaching at that time, all the professors and the, and the instructors and even the secretaries would come in and they would go and it was their coffee time. It was like about 15, 20 minutes, you know, Daddy used to, uh, he was kind of come in, get his coffee, talk if anybody was looking to catch him for something. Uh, And then a lot of times just in 10 minutes, he'd be bouncing back because he was, you know, obsessed by one project or another. There was like, you know, an important piece of equipment that needed repair or something like that. So he didn't dawdle a lot, but it was still, it was a ritual. They went and did that every day. So that that 3.30 in the afternoon coffee break on March 17th, 1930 becomes a big deal, uh, becomes what Buddy Stahl says is the very first one in the United States. And of course, naturally, that's going to happen in New Orleans. Naturally, it's going to happen in the CBD. Why not? So then um, the, the, the Campanella ac- accompanies this with a really great shot of a uh, really great uh, uh, illustration of the Hibernia building. So we'll include that in there as well. And uh Maybe we'll do something with coffee. What's your favorite coffee shop in New Orleans? You know, it's like the tourists will always say, well, I've never been anywhere but Cafe Du Monde or until morning call folded and hopefully is on the way back once we get past our 
our, our public health issues of the moment, you know, we'll, we'll get back into that. Uh, I tend to, to favor at the moment, uh, well, not going there now because of the whole uh, social distancing thing, but uh, my, my favorite coffee shop, of course, is the, the PJ's Coffee at Canal Boulevard at 5555 Canal Boulevard because it's right there by the train tracks. And, of course, I get to see the Amtrak Crescent go by and then all the freight trains going by it's fun uh i love french truck coffee the one on charters uh the one on charter street and the 200 block of charters is fun cdm is always fun too you know even if you're even if you're in the metries right you know there's no better place for people watching in lakeside mall than to sit at the cdm that kind of thing so ping me back on on you know either on email or when we post this to to facebook on the nola history guy page or on new orleans uncovered yeah give me a shout back and tell me where you go get your coffee for your coffee break uh, unless you're like me and you're, you're drinking like a million cups a day and you basically live with coffee injected into your veins so uh, yeah let, let us know what you think of that this is kind of a fun idea that we started the coffee break in America so that's Campanella's today in New Orleans history like I said look for look for that group on Facebook today in New Orleans history or look for her website neworleanspast.com and by all means like I said support local authors especially in this time of depressed everything you know you can still uh uh, uh go up uh I saw that Elizabeth Alquist had put up a thing that um uh, that that Blue Cypress Books will do curbside to pick uh, curbside. You can do curbside pickup to get books from uh, from Blue Cypress. I'm sure. If uh, I don't know if Tom is open at Octavia at all, but certainly if if he is, you probably do that, or you can order by you know order uh, mail order from both companies. There's that big evil company. Now there's there's also that other company that I can't complain too much about because I I use you know, Kindle for the eBooks, uh, you know, to sell my, my fiction. And of course the Arcadia books are sold, uh, pretty much everywhere, but Miss Campanella has her, her, uh, images of America books on Lake Pontchartrain and city park and Mattery. Then she's got legendary locals of Mattery. And then one of her newer titles is from a series called images of modern America. So my books are all images of America. You know, it's basically, you know, they, they tell you in the proposal, it's got to be old stuff, that kind of thing. But then they uh, basically when color printing and the uh, color production of books became so much less expensive. Uh, now the uh, Arcadia has this images of modern America series and the, and, uh, and Campanella has a book there uh, that is also Lake Pontchartrain. And between the two, they're just wonderful books. If you're just like a lakefront person or a Pontchartrain beach person, you're just going to eat these up, you know, so you, you want to go check her stuff out, reward the, you know, the, the, the hard work that folks like her do to give us, you know, this good quality, fascinating stories about New Orleans. And that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed uh, unpacking the uh, streetcar photo and talking about coffee breaks. And uh, I hope everybody's doing well and nobody gets sick. Or if you get this thing that it passes by quickly and you get, you know, we, we can all, you know, keep stay, uh, keep socially distant, you know, and flatten these curves so that fewer people catch this crazy thing and we can get back to what we're doing and the things we do best. So uh, I uh, go out and hope you guys have a good, safe, healthy week. Uh, if you uh, come join us in on, uh, I'm going to be uh, 
trying to do a couple of more things via Zoom. Just pay attention on, on the history page and New Orleans Uncovered and NOLA History Guy on Twitter for specific times. Still kind of working the kinks out on the Zoom thing. I'm noticing that the files, the MP4 files, that the video files that it creates, you can save it. So if you don't have to catch the live uh, talk, but you can come back later. But I tried uploading them to YouTube, and YouTube keeps rejecting them, saying they're too large, which probably means I should, I, I, you know, they, they, I'm sure YouTube wants me to pay for more storage or to put longer videos up. But, well, we'll work that as we go. In the meantime, you can download the video, you know, the MP4 file and watch it on your computer uh, of these things. So, yeah, I'll probably, I don't know if I'll do something tomorrow. We'll see if we have time, but because uh, I'm teaching tomorrow, you know, doing the day gig. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure something out as we're going along here with this stuff so we can stay in touch and still stay distant. So everybody take care. Be, be safe. Wash your hands. And we'll talk to you soon.